Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. I have a confession to make uh, for good or ill uh, this morning. So I, I shared at our Christmas Eve services, I've been reading The Hobbit to my daughters at night. And uh, I have twin girls who are eight, and we just finished this week. But a part of that journey for me, uh, it reawakened an interest in these stories. So I jumped into Lord of the Rings, where I've been living in Middle Earth for a couple of uh, weeks now, a week or so. And uh, again, for good or ill, it, it will come out this morning. And uh, I'm hoping it doesn't turn you off, right? That you're like, man, this guy. Uh, but uh, if it does, I got a picture that my kids drew that I'm hoping will either pull you back in or just uh, be even more obnoxious for you. So... Um, yeah, so this is, uh, you'll, if, for those of you who don't know the story of the Hobbit, uh, this is Smaug, the dragon, uh, who awaits at the end of their journey. And one of the, one of the effects of reading this book at, in the evenings with, 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 the, with the girls is it's uh, generated a flurry of like, activity in, in terms of drawing. And so we, we've been sort of playfully building our own like, illustrated version of this story. And this is, one of the, this is one of the pictures that came. This is uh, the dragon, the chief villain, uh, laying on his treasured hoard under the lonely mountain. All right, So this is where we're headed. This is what we think, uh, again, no, not too many spoilers this morning, maybe a few. Uh, this is the chief sort of uh, conflict towards which the story has been or was careening. And uh, over the course of like the building anticipation, we're going to meet the dragon, right? We're talking about it. There's hints of it along the way. And, uh, but over the course of our reading it over these last couple of weeks, um, one of my children, uh, during the day as we're kind of drawing and processing, she just out of the blue, she's like, you know, I've just been thinking, like, what if, what if he just needs a friend, Okay, you know, I didn't want to crush her poor, vulnerable little heart, right? But uh, she's like, you know, I'm just kind of hoping, I was dreaming the other night that like one of the other characters had a conversation with the dragon and he just needed a friend and uh, now they're all going to like live happily ever, ever after. And again, I I don't want to ruin anything too terrible, terribly for you, but the, the story takes a slightly different different turn, and I didn't know how to break it to her. Eventually, she, she finally came around and was like, I'm picking up from all the hints that you guys are saying that uh, my wish will not come true. But, but it occurred to me, right, that in that conversation, that what she wanted, right, what I think we all want for ourselves and typically for others, though, though not always, but that what she wanted in that expression was redemption. Right? She wanted something in that character to be worth redeeming, worth like uh, saving, if you will, right? That, 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 that she wanted something in him to be worth uh, a work of redemption. And that, I think that desire uh, follows us into our reading this morning. And again, I think uh, last week, Tyler beautifully intro- introduced us to it, right? That, that God holds everything and that all the details he holds in your life and mine, that through all those things, as we see in the story of scripture, he is working redemption. He is working out the truth that there uh, is in you, in you, in us, in his world that he created, uh, something worth uh, redeeming, that, that he is, uh, had work redeeming his world. And we saw it, we saw it last week. 
with the, the first miracle in John's gospel, Jesus changing water to wine, which again, as, as you saw last week, is just a beautiful story of God working redemption in the particulars, but then pointing towards something bigger. He's going to work new things where all has been old. And it's just a beautiful, I mean, what's not to celebrate? God sort of cranking up the wine at a wedding celebration, right? This is a beautiful thing. Uh, it's interesting to me that in John's gospel, we go straight from this, uh, what he labels a sign, into another one that he identifies a sign. We, as a sign. We go from like wine at the wedding to what we read this morning, Jesus turning over tables in the temple, which is, again, to me, a rather stark jump, Right. Let me let me redeem this moment for this family, uh, in this community. Uh, bring on the wine. Right. To uh, making a whip of cords, he drove the animals out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he turned over their tables. Like what? Right. Is this the same guy? Uh, right. The word has been made flesh. God has come to make his home with us. And this is the first indication of what it looks like a celebration of a wedding feast. And then straight from there to whips of cords and uh, turning over tables. This can't possibly be uh, pointing us towards the same truth. Uh, but I want to suggest to us this morning, just for a brief moment as we reflect on this story, that I, I do think we land in the same place. That God, is, God has come to make his home here with us to redeem, to, to save. And we see it at the wedding uh, strongly, but just as strongly in this moment uh, in the temple. And, and if, 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 just, uh, if you're looking for like a first point, I, I want to suggest to you the first point is this. So this is Jesus going into the temple uh, and cleansing is the, is the title of this section. He's cleansing the temple. Uh, what, what, uh, the way maybe I would put it to us this morning as sort of a first point or truth is that even when we get it right, we get it wrong, right? That here is Jesus, right? Even when we get it right, we, we, we humans get it so wrong that here is Jesus walking into the space, the temple, with all of its history and story of uh, uh, the place in which God would, would, would make his presence with the people of Israel, his presence on the earth, where uh, Old Testament scripture says the nations would come to know what God is like, that, that this is the space designed for that, the place which scripture has been pointing. I mean, this is us getting it right. But even when we get it right, we see in this story that we, we still manage to get it uh, wrong. And, and here, I think it's clear that Jesus is judging, right? He is judging this moment. He comes in, he looks around at all of this activity in the temple court, and, and he gives a show of force, right? He drives it out. He makes some changes. He turns the tables up on end. That, that there is a sense in which he is very directly saying, we are getting this wrong. <laughs> Even in worship, we are, we are getting this uh, wrong. And I, I think on the surface, it's pretty clear, which is maybe if you've heard this story, where we typically land, and it's just truth, one thing that's happening here, it's not the only thing, but one thing that's happening here is certainly a, uh, uh, Jesus is pushing back against this tendency in us to kind of commercialize this m moment, right? That, that on the surface, Jesus says, this is a space where the nations were meant to come and uh, pray, and hear from me and know my presence with them, my home with them in the world. This is a space designed for that. And you've just sort of turned it into a circus, 
right? And I think we kind of hear that and be like, we can kind of respond to that a few different ways. One is to just like, well, we'll, we'll quit doing all this extra stuff at church and we'll just focus on the particulars and maybe so. But I think that is certainly what's a bit of what's happening here. Jesus is telling them you've lost sort of the point of all of this, the reverence of this moment. But, but I think, uh, and scholars I think suggest that he's doing a little bit more here. That not just that sort of initial reaction, like, man, what is church? And we want to treat it with kind of reverence and respect and all those things, sure. But, uh, but that sort of beneath all of that, what's, what's uh, happening here as well is, is that point that this is the space where the nations were meant to come. That this section in the temple, particular, the outer court where uh, most believe this was happening, was, was the only space in all of that structure where the Gentiles could come and worship, could come and know God's home on earth, God with us uh, at this particular moment, that this was the space specifically designated for the nations. It got a little different for the nation of Israel as they moved into the interior of the temple, but this space was, this was the space in which they had access to God with them. And here in this moment, as Jesus rolls up into this space, what he finds is, is uh, the religious sort of insiders have kind of taken over all that section with, uh, with all of their commerce. Necessary commerce, people are p- taking pilgrimages to Jerusalem, they're coming to worship, they might not have everything they need for all that is involved. And so naturally, you know, this is a natural place to sell, but the space they're choosing to do that is the, is the only designated space where the nations, the people not like them, were sort of <laughs> invited to come and and so here in this moment, as Jesus walks in and sees this, uh, he he pushes against it, and again I think stresses man not just that we're missing the point in terms of like solemnity. This is the place where church is all you know uptight and whatever, right? This is not what's happening here. He's he's saying this is the space where the where the nations were meant to come, and you've taken it up with with kind of all of this sort of peripheral stuff. There are other places for you to do that. Leave this space open. You are you are missing the heart of God's intention, of his presence with you, with us, not just for you, but for others and in a sense telling them look even when you get it right even when we get it right man in our humanity we get it wrong that even our worship so often is broken in need of redemption in need of redemption that it needs it needs help from the outside that our human heart is broken and marred by sin and this sort of singular story may be an example of that much deeper human truth that, that we, again, are, are broken in this respect. And John, uh, in this gospel, repeatedly, over and over and over again, intends to point us uh, through the language of signs, right, indicators, points us toward the truth that Jesus is the one who brings that help. That in this moment, Again, the title we're using, thank you, B.B. King and you too, I think, when love comes to town, right? That when love comes to town, uh, in this moment, we see uh, in this action as Jesus comes to make us home, he doesn't sort of leave us in our kind of wayward brokenness. He certainly confronts it as he's done here, turning over tables, and driving them out. He doesn't just sort of leave it unaddressed. He confronts it, but in the process, he, he redeems it. He, he opens another way forward. And I think we see that in our passage here. If we start with Jesus walking in, making a whip and driving out animals and 
pushing the money changers out, turning over the table, right? Like, come, come on, you guys are totally missing the point and kind of redirecting um, their worship. Um, he comes in doing all that. He confronts it. But in this moment, we find that, that he redeems it. And the way he redeems it, I think we see a picture of it uh, as the passage continues. That, that, that even when we get it right, we may get it wrong. But, but the way that Jesus confronts that and redeems is that he takes all of that wrong, all of our misguided uh, brokenness on himself. That he takes it on himself. In a sense, as we said earlier, he lays down the authority that he even has walked into this place with in, in our reading and, and, and says, this, this, I, in this moment, we'll lay Myself down will take uh, your brokenness on, on, on me. I I heard, uh, rather read someone kind of put it like this, to, again maybe to help us. If I were to say to you, as we move kind of a little further into the passage, if I were to say to you yesterday, all my troubles seemed so far away. Now it seems as though they're here, here to stay. This is a segment of the room knows what I'm talking about. For those of you who don't. <laughs> Right? But generally, in terms of culture and pop culture, it only takes that little bit of a phrase. And most of us sort of immediately, uh, we heard a melody, we heard some context, we heard lines before and after. Maybe we thought of like cultural icons or mop top haircuts. I don't know, but you probably recognize it. We're just so saturated in it that that phrase took us to a much sort of broader context of the Beatles. And I, I, I think this is that kind of moment for the disciples. Maybe not in the moment, but as they look back and reflect, it's that kind of like they, they hear a resonance with like a much broader context. And, and we're told actually directly that that's what happens here in verse 14. All right, he, Jesus tells them, sorry, verse 16, he says, take these things, these pigeons, get out of here. Don't make my father's house a house of trade. This is a space for the nations to come and know that I am with them. And you've, you've taken up all this space, get, go. And then in verse 17, his disciples remembered we don't know if it was in that moment, maybe sometime later, but they remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. What's happening here? This is a yesterday sort of moment, all my troubles. This is that kind of moment. They, they, they've seen Jesus kind of come in, drive people out, uh, sort of cleansing the temple, and it's immediately taking them to, to a much broader context. And for them, this context is, is some Old Testament prayers from a guy named David, Psalm 69. Verses seven through nine, but it's, but it's they're hearing sort of all of this context. But what, what is quoted here is, is uh, in Psalm 69, and, and David prays this about his own relationship to the temple, to God's house. I suffer, David says, for I suffer humiliation for your sake. And I'm thoroughly disgraced, praying to God. I'm thoroughly disgraced for your sake. Even my own brothers, my own people, he says, treat me like a stranger. They act as if I were a foreigner. Certainly, he prays, zeal for your house will consume me. And then he says, I endure the insults of those who insult you. So, so what's happening here, right? The disciples are experiencing this moment. They're watching Jesus kind of step in and, 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 and clear the temple. But then they've witnessed sort of the people's reaction. Like Jesus has now become a, an object of uh, scorn or derision. Like who is this guy? What does he think he's doing? And in this moment, they hear sort of, they hear the, they don't hear the Beatles, but you understand what I'm saying. They hear the Beatles in the background, this prayer of David, that, that David says, I'll be consumed by my zeal for your house and I'll take on myself the reproaches of these people. Even my brothers will, 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 will reject me. 
their insults towards you will, will come upon me. Uh, I think we hear, all right, in this moment, what, what they see is Jesus kind of stepping into this role. David himself saying, my, my, my passion for you uh, and for your house will consume me. In, in one sense, I will be consumed. I will be consumed uh, on your behalf. That, that in this moment, I feel like what we hear is kind of resonating is that when love comes to town, love comes to suffer on our behalf and to be consumed. We'll see it sort of open up in the passage that yes, he comes in with force and, and judgment, but, but ultimately he points to a moment where he says, I know you're rejecting me and much like hearing the resonance of, of David's prayer in the back, the insults, uh, their reproaches will fall upon me. What, what is happening here is, is this is a, a kind of a seminal moment in John's telling of the story of Jesus, right? This is a moment, if you will, and when the clock starts, it starts ticking for Jesus. That this is not accidental. I mean, he knows full well uh, what he is setting in motion here, that by walking into the seat of worship for his people and saying, look, you guys are missing the point, uh, he, he awakens an attention and a conflict that John's gospel will point to again and again and again, that from this moment, the religious authorities will seek opportunity to seize him and ultimately to kill him. What, what, what happens, I think, in this moment, so we're like, oh, this is, look, Jesus is telling us, let's clean up the church, right? Let's take things a little more seriously. Well, no, you're missing God's heart that this would be a place where his presence would be known for all people. His redemption working even in your worship and yet even, even at our best, we, we get it so often wrong. And so he steps in and begins to clean up and his disciples hear echoes of this prayer. He will be consumed by this move. This move that Jesus makes will ultimately consume his life. That in this moment, in a sense, it's as if he just steps just across and tips the scale now towards the cross right here at the beginning in John's gospel revealing himself as the one who will suffer on behalf of God's people even, that he, he will take sort of all of that sin and brokenness and waywardness and broken worship and all of that, he will take it on himself. He will take our reproach upon himself. And what he says, uh, we hear it here, right? So in verse 18, uh, like their response to this, the leaders is like, what gives you the right to do this? Who are you? So they say to him, what what sign are you going to show us for doing these things? Jesus answers them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They they look at him almost sarcastically, give me a break. King Herod, it took him 46 years to build this temple right, that had been broken down before, and as we know in history, will be broken down again very shortly. It took him 46 years, and you're going to do it in three days. But John tells us Jesus was speaking about himself, revealing in this moment that he, he would be consumed. His, his life would be that new space of God's presence in the world that would be broken down, but it would be broken down and built. Again, it would be consumed even to the point of death, taking upon himself all of our brokenness. But in its place, he would build something new. He would build lives around him that would be changed from every nation. Like language that the New Testament writers will use to describe as his body, the church. Right? He, would, he would build something new. So it's an interesting space. I, I, I was just reading this morning. It's a moment, kind of like Jonah. 
I think of Jonah in the whale, if we know that story, right? The whale was kind of like, we, we, we viewed it as God's judgment, but it really wasn't. It was his salvation for Jonah, right? His judgment was kind of the storm and all of that, but, but this moment that feels like judgment is actually God's like saving work in Jonah's life. And I, I feel like there's a bit of that happening here. This moment that feels like judgment, that is a confrontation. We get it wrong so many times, and he turns over the tables and drives them out. But wrapped up in this moment of confrontation is a gift of redemption. Jesus says, you guys are missing it, but that's okay. I'm going to take all this on myself, and I'll be consumed even to the point of death, he says, but I will build it new. I I will step into all of this for you, and out of it will come new life new life. So I think this move brings us sort of to the end of the passage. Uh, I, I want to, uh, yeah, I, I want to kind of land sort of where we started, and I'm, I'm hoping in just a moment that some of this will have like application or, or resonance sort of in our daily lives. But this is the movement, right? We see it. We, even when we get it right, we get it wrong. And in this moment, Jesus steps in and does bring judgment. But through that, he works redemption. He takes all of it. He says, I'm going to take it on myself. You think I'm talking about this building? No, 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 no. When love comes to town, I will take all of this on myself. I will be consumed for you. And then out of that, he says, something new will come, which brings us, which brings us to the end. I have another picture here from uh, The Hobbit, uh, I think. Yeah, right, look at this, man. Just please, just, just admire my children. Go ahead, take a few minutes. Uh, feel free, right? So for those of you who don't know the story, there's this group of dwarves, and they take a hobbit along. And for a while, if and on, there's a wizard who accompanies them. And you'll see all of these characters here, Bilbo in the foreground, uh, smog threateningly circling overhead in, in the background. Uh, again, uh, it was purely selfish, but it's been a blast reading it. It has, however, also been a little educational as a parent. Uh, and for, for one reason in particular, this, this will be the biggest spoiler of the morning, but uh, of, of this cast of characters, not everyone survives, all right? So not, every, not everyone, sorry, you guys are like, what? I'm done, <laughs> right? Uh, right? Not, not everyone survives. And we came, to, we came to this moment in the story a few nights ago, and, uh, you know, the intensity was building We'd already lost Smog, whom they were clearly hoping we would redeem, and we hadn't, right? And so now we're in a moment of uh, grief and loss. And I, uh, I'm reading it. I'm probably not paying enough attention to my children, just enjoying the book and maybe getting a little too carried away. And, uh, but I look up, and like one of them is like, the covers are here, right? Eyes are real big, right? Eyes are real big. The other one's kind of like nervously, like loudly laughing, right? It was clearly like... So naturally, right, I'm a good parent. I was like, maybe they're not getting it. So I read it again, right? <laughs> you think I'm kidding, <laughs> right? I was like, well, are, you, are you guys, do you guys know what's happening here? Let, let, me, let me read this to you again, right? Like, let me clarify. And they're like, oh yeah, we know, right? We're just not emotionally ready for this, uh, right? Parenting is a learning curve. It's, it's, and I'm sometimes very steep, <laughs> um, right? Clearly, clearly they were having trouble processing emotion of this moment. I know this, uh, I know this because they told Jess after I left the room and they were having trouble sleeping at night, right? Like, like what happened, <laughs> right? Uh, like it, it, it messed, it messed with them. We were talking about it a little bit later, kind of processing it. And, uh, 
you know, in the course of that conversation, uh, one of them said, you know, why, why, um, right, why didn't you just tell us? Like, if you had just told us, why, why couldn't you tell us, they said, uh, specifically almost like, but just why didn't you tell us ahead of time, right? Let us know, then it would have been easier. Please just, if you'd have just given us a heads up, if you will, a, a sign, right? A sign that not everyone will make it. It would have been easier if we had known, is what they said. Would have been easier. I feel like, I feel like that's the disciples in this moment. They're looking back. They've been through the loss of Jesus, death, but the craziness of the resurrection. Like, how do you, how, what? Right? I mean, they're, they're, they're like just a mess. They're looking back to this moment, and you can almost feel it in the last verse. It would have been easier if we had known, if we had seen it then, that love would be consumed. We thought he was going to come and take over the throne with a show of strength and force. But he came laying his life down. He came letting all of that go. John will say later, Jesus, knowing he had all authority, put it all down. Put it all down. When, therefore, in verse 22, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, that this was about his body, his body being spent, being consumed on their behalf and being raised Again, and then it says, it says what John hopes over and over again in every story of the signs of Jesus in John's gospel. It says what what he hopes all of us will take away. Then, then it says, verse 22, they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. That all of this, all of this, John tells us, is meant to help us to see him a little more clearly. What it looks like when God comes into our life and our world. And we think it looks like, flipping tables and cracking the whip and certainly judgment and confrontation are all wrapped up in there but but running right through all of that Jesus tells us in this moment is redemption is me Jesus says being consumed on your behalf Jesus says zeal for your house it will consume me it will literally consume my life life will be lost he says but it will not be yours. It'll be mine. I, he says, will make your reproaches my own. But but he does a little more here, right? It's not, he doesn't just hint at loss, that love will will lay itself down. He also says that, that there is life along the way, that in this sort of being consumed, he would bring new life. There would be redemption. There would be resurrection. All these old places in your life, broken places would be made knew that when love comes to town, Jesus is telling them here, giving us a a hint. He doesn't come, uh, he doesn't come to kind of throw our reproach sort of back at us. All the insults and all the ways in which we're broken and kind of like fling it back at us. In, in, In that moment of intensity, the opposite happens. Love lays itself down and says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And in that moment in the temple, even hear a hint of it, that, that Jesus would be consumed, that he would bear it all the way to the end, to death. He would bear it there and back again. He would bear it there, right, all the way to death, but he would bring it 
back to life again. For those of you that maybe it was too subtle, I'm geeking out on The Hobbit right here, right? The title of his book, There and Back Again. I've told you now, you're like, the Holy Spirit was working in my life and you've derailed it by referencing Middle Earth once again. But here's my invitation to you. Here's where I think all of this takes us as we close with a song. You guys can come on up. This is my invitation to you. What I think Jesus, we see him working and what John explicitly says over and over again, that I tell you all of these things so that you'll look at Jesus and see a little more clearly. This is what it's like when God, when God moves in. Right, that, that what he asks us to do here, I, I think the invitation to you and me, wherever we might be in that story, is just to receive it. That the work is his. His life will be consumed. And, and that our, our, only, our only response to that is to receive it. To, in a sense, if you will, as we'll sing, come, and, come into the water. Right? Don't earn it. Don't live up to it. Just come and receive it. To look at Jesus, John, will invite you and me. And as we do, to see redemption. Redemption for your broken life and, and for mine. And just to rest in it. To come, he says, broken. To come fearful. And even as we saw this morning, self-righteous. We think we're getting all this worship stuff sorted. Nope, he said, just come and receive. Let me work on your behalf. Let me be consumed for you and out of that work new life. Will you guys? Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.